Welcome to Life Study of the Bible with Witness Lee, a program brought to you by Living Stream Ministry. Witness Lee, a servant of the Lord for over seven decades on five continents, culminated his ministry with a 21-year, book-by-book exposition of the entire Bible, which he called a life study. This life study is the basis of our program today, which includes short portions of the spoken messages given by Witness Lee. Now, let's join today's life study. During the days of the degradation of the house of Israel, God's word was primarily limited to his overcomers, the prophets, such as Isaiah and Jeremiah. But as the people's hearts began to turn back to the Lord, other prophets were still needed to bear Jehovah's testimony and to release his speaking for his people in that age to accomplish his purpose and plan. Among these prophets were Haggai and Zechariah, who shared in the captivity of Israel in Babylon, but who were raised up by the Lord to accompany his people back to Judah and to encourage and exhort them to go back and rebuild the temple of Jehovah within Jerusalem. Bill Lawson has joined us for our program today. And Bill, before we begin, if I could just take a moment and say again, as I did yesterday, how good it is to be back in this function and this service and to labor with uh, with all you brothers. And uh, I've missed it, and uh, I'm still very grateful to the Lord for all the prayers of uh, the saints and those who have uh, kind of supported me during this period where I had some health problems. But uh, it's really a joy to be back. Thank you for being here with me today. Yeah, it's good, Chris. We really worship the Lord that he is Uh, made a way for you to resume your service here. I'm also grateful to the Lord that I could come back while we were still enjoying these books that um, I guess in a broad way we could consider Haggai and Zechariah as part of the recovery books. Of course, Matt Miller did a wonderful job filling in all these uh, weeks, and I know you and Matt recorded many programs in Ezra and Nehemiah and Esther, a very sweet book, and now we have touched Haggai yesterday, and we come to Zechariah today, and we'll be in this book for a couple of weeks. Maybe all these main characters, they're somewhat historically connected in the same time period. Maybe you could, uh, as a good review, put them into context and uh, just say a little bit about how they were each functioning as the Lord was raising up his people in a very significant way. Right, Chris. Uh, these minor prophets, as you might say, sometimes it's not so easy to, to figure out the chronology here. You have these different ones raised up. You have like Ezra, who began the, the turn back to, uh, to bring the Israelites back to the good land. And of course, with him, there was uh, Joshua, the high priest, the rubble bull, the, the governor who took care of the administration. But then after some of them came back, and they actually did uh, begin the rebuilding of the temple in Jerusalem— uh, even the foundation of the temple was laid, mm-hmm. but then God's enemies rose up again and frustrated them from uh, completing the building of the temple. So for a number of years, they left off building the temple. This was not done until the Lord raised up this prophet Haggai, and he was the one that encouraged the returned captives to resume the building of the temple and complete the building of God's temple. And he was uh, also joined and strengthened a little bit later, even a few months later, by Zechariah, whose 14 chapters there are a further strengthening of the work that Haggai had begun. So uh, whereas Ezra was focused on the building or the laying the foundation of the temple, 
Then we he was followed by Nehemiah, correct, uh, at the same time? Well, Nehemiah, Chris, is a little bit later because after the temple uh, was in the process of being completed, there was a need to build a wall right. around the city and Jerusalem to keep the enemies away. So Nehemiah was just a little bit later. So the enemies had come and frustrated the rebuilding work. The work had really stopped, hence the need for the Lord to raise up ones like Haggai and Zechariah. Mm-hmm. Right. All right, Bill, I want to read a couple of verses here as we um, prepare to join Witness Lee for this first portion. I like these first three verses in uh, Zechariah. I hope our listeners have a chance to follow along. Uh, If you're not able to get to a Bible right now, I I particularly would point you to verse 3. I think it's a verse that's easy to apply to all of us, and maybe we'll get a chance to talk about that a little bit. Zechariah chapter 1, verses 1, 2, and 3. In the eighth month, in the second year of Darius, the word of Jehovah came to Zechariah the prophet, the son of Berechiah, the son of Edo, saying, Jehovah was extremely angry with your fathers. Therefore say to them, Thus says Jehovah of hosts, Return to me, declares Jehovah of hosts, and I will return to you, says Jehovah of hosts. Wonderful promise there, isn't it? Really so. All right, let's join Witness Lee in our first life study from the book of Zechariah. I'm so happy that the Lord led us to Zechariah. Zechariah was the grandson of Edo and the son of Berechiah. In Hebrew, the name Edo means at an appointed time. And the name Berechiah, Jehovah will bless. And the name Zechariah means Jehovah will remember. Put all these three together, uh, the total significance of these three names is and appointed time, Jehovah will bless, and Jehovah will remember. It's quite meaningful, right? Zechariah was born of a priestly family in captivity. He was born there. Zechariah was firstly a priest. Then he became a prophet, a priestly prophet. His uh, prophecy was not there in Babylon, but after they came back, he prophesied in Judah. His contemporary was Haggai. So you have these two books, right, at the end of the Old Testament. Zechariah went forth together with Haggai. And both of them were prophets encouraging the building of the temple of God under the hand of Zerubbabel and Joshua. By that time, Joshua was the high priest representing the priesthood. Zerubbabel was the descendant of the royal family. He became the governor that equals the king. King Xi went forth with priesthood and these two things built up the temple of God even today. In the building of the body of Christ, we still need these two. Firstly, the priesthood. Secondly, the kingship. Bill, let's touch this point uh, that he made right at the end here. Um, We had Joshua returning with the people, who was the high priest. We had Zerubbabel, as you mentioned a moment ago. We just heard again. He was the governor representing the administration, uh, actually an extension of the kingship. 
so as the building of God's house in the Old Testament needed these two factors, the priesthood and the kingship, uh, we also see this extended on even into the New Testament age in which we live and work and serve, don't we? Right. That's very interesting, Chris. You had mentioned that whenever we touch the temple that we're talking about here in the Old Testament, that's not merely a physical building in itself. It is a real strong type of the church the body of Christ in the New Testament age. So whenever we look at the temple in the Old Testament, we have to look at the church in the New Testament. And just as you have ones like Joshua the high priest and Zerubbabel representing the kingship, the priesthood and the kingship in order to build the temple in that day, then we must have the service of the priesthood and the kingship today among the Christians, the believers, in order to build up the body of Christ today. Let me jump in, Bill, because as we say those kingship and priesthood, many people automatically think of the clergy and those who have a high position. What do we know about the New Testament reality of these two types? Well, as you say, uh, it appears that these were probably no doubt leaders, but we have to realize that in God's original intention, he intended that all of his people would become priests to serve him, to contact him, to minister to him, and that all of his uh, people will also be his kings in that sense as far as ruling for him, reigning over ourself, our flesh, our natural man, and even reigning over Satan, God's enemy. So in that principle, every believer in the New Testament should be a priest and a king, one who ministers to God and one who reigns over the flesh and over God's enemy, so that just like the Lord said in Exodus, God, he wanted a kingdom of priests, a priestly kingdom where every believer serves him, every believer rules for God. And we see these same desires on the Lord's heart for his people expressed in the New Testament. I know in Peter, he talks about that we're a, a royal priesthood uh, chosen. And of course, we all, I think, love to latch on to the great promise at the Lord's return that we would be co-kings with him. Right. Also, I might add, you have another main ministry there in the Old Testament, which is here mentioned in Zechariah, which is the prophethood. The prophethood was always raised up by God whenever there was an abnormal situation among God's people. In a normal situation, the priests and the kings adequately take care of everything. But when God's people become degraded, idolatrous, then God has to raise up prophets like Haggai, like Zechariah, like Isaiah, and these ones to bring the people back to the proper priesthood and the kingship. Mm, Very good, very good. Bill, in the next segment, we're going to touch one of the, I would say, more spiritual aspects of this book. And this is a very spiritual book. It's a book of prophecy. Uh, It's not easy to understand. It's probably uh, somewhat even avoided, I would say, by casual readers of the Bible because of its difficulty. But if we have some keys, which we'll get in this ministry and in these life studies, we'll see a very rich book before us, won't we? Really so. And one that really brings us at its very center and at its focus to Christ. And we're always left with this question when we touch these Old Testament books. How do we see Christ in such a book as Zechariah? Maybe in principle, you could say a little bit before we join Witness Lee for this next section. Right. As you said, Chris, whenever we touch the Old Testament, it's so easy to be bogged down in historicity or the (laughs) historical books. What happened centuries ago? Who were the kings of Judah? Who were the kings of Israel? Uh, God's people failed. It's very seldom that we see Christ here hidden in these books. So as we go on with the program, I think we'll be helped to see that Zechariah really shows us Christ in these 14 chapters. Of course, the term or word 
Christ or Jesus cannot be found in these Old Testament pages, but the reference uh, is clear. And particularly in this book, there's a number of references to the, quote, angel of Jehovah, sometimes called a man, this sort of indescript reference to a man. If we're given a little help here, we can see these are real clear uh, pictures or pointers to Christ, aren't they? Mm-hmm. The man, the angel of Jehovah, all referred to Christ. Okay, let's look at uh, now Zechariah chapter 1 a little later on. I've just excerpted some passages from verse 7 through 14. The word of Jehovah came to Zechariah the prophet, saying, I saw during the night, and behold, a man was riding upon a red horse, and he was standing among the myrtle trees that were in the bottoms. Then the angel of Jehovah answered and said, O Jehovah of hosts, how long will you not have compassion on Jerusalem and on the cities of Judah, with which you have been indignant for these seventy years? And Jehovah answered the angel who spoke with me with good words, with comforting words. Thus says Jehovah, I return to Jerusalem with compassions. My house will be built in it, declares Jehovah of hosts, and a measuring line will be stretched over Jerusalem. Cry out again, saying, Thus says Jehovah of hosts. My cities will again overflow with good, and Jehovah will again comfort Zion and will again choose Jerusalem. Marvelous words here showing that the Lord has not utterly and ultimately forsaken his people, but is very much prepared to be with them. All right, let's go back to Witness Lee. What is the opening word of uh, Zechariah? It is the exhorting word that exhorted the children of Israel to return to Jehovah with the promise that Jehovah will return to them. You see, they have returned from Babylon to Jerusalem. They returned to the forefathers' place, but they didn't return to the Lord. So, since they didn't return to the Lord, and the Lord didn't return to them, First, you have to return to the Lord. Then the Lord will return to you based upon your return to him. This is the principle today. still the same. Okay. The central thought of Zechariah's prophecy is Jehovah remembers his chastised people and sympathizes with them in their suffering of the nation's reaction to God's punishment over them. God sent Christ as his angel to be with them and go with them through their captivity. In this central thought, these particular words are used. Consolation, sympathy, the word redemption, the word salvation, and the word savior, all are used. In the central thought of this book, the factors are, number one, God's sympathy. Based upon these, God came in to counsel his chastised people. Then for them, Christ was sent to come to accomplish redemption. And this redemption is for their salvation, meeting Christ, not just Redeemer, but also the Savior. In the whole universe, you could see Christ on the cross at the center. From that center, Christ has been spreading himself to the circumference in the whole universe, and that is the universality of Christ. 
Ephesians does say this redeeming Christ who produced his, the body, the church, is the one who fills all in all. This is Christ. Christ fills the unlimited universe. He is surely the universality in God's plan. Boy, there's a lot in this uh, short section, Bill. Um, we could talk about the principle of the Lord uh, returning to us once we return to him. Right. But how can we pass up this last point in the whole universe at the very center is Christ on his cross? But as Ephesians 1, 22 and 23 tell us, he's not uh, just at that center point of the universe, is he? Apparently, it seems like God has you know forsook his people but there, as the angel of Jehovah, he's there with the Israelite in that degraded situation. He's comforting them, he's sympathizing with them, and he wants to be everything to them. Eventually, he becomes their redeemer. Uh, if you look back in the book of Exodus 12, he redeemed them out of Egypt. Of course, redemption is mainly there on the negative side to redeem them all the way back to himself, even to the point that they would enter the good land. And then he's their savior by bringing them into the good land. Of course, the good land we know is also a type of Christ. So here we have Christ as a redeemer, Christ as a savior, uh, Christ and his salvation. And then, of course, when the Lord came to this earth the first time, he actually accomplished redemption, redeeming both the Jews and the Gentiles also. So here we see Christ as a redeemer, and then this redeemer, we know, in resurrection, he became the life-giving spirit. He entered into all of his chosen ones to produce us as the church, the body of Christ, and the body is just the enlargement of Christ, or the corporate Christ, and this corporate Christ will one day enlarge and expand and wants to cover the whole earth, and that is the filling of the all-in-all in in Ephesians chapter 1. So you have Christ in his centrality in redemption, and then you have Christ in his universality in his filling all-in-all to be the body of Christ. I remember uh, hearing Witnessley speak about this point, that Christ is the centrality becoming the universality, and he first heard this message spoken by Watchman Nee, I can't remember, 1934, 35, but it had a deep impact on him. This particular word, this vision, this view of Christ really captured him, I think, and changed his life and ministry. Mm-hmm. And I think Watchman Nee uh, gave some messages on this point as well, didn't he? Mm-hmm. Right. And seeing him as the center point, but also the one who fills all in all, it really helps to understand and unlock the, the riches that are in these Old Testament books. It really so. Bill, let's go to uh, our final segment today. Uh, we want to talk again about this matter of Christ being the center and even the subject of this Old Testament book, Zechariah. I've selected a couple of verses from chapter 10 that help us to realize these references are very clearly aimed at Christ and pointing us to him. Uh, In verse 6 of chapter 10, he says, And I will strengthen the house of Judah, and I will save the house of Joseph, and I will bring them back, for I have had compassion on them, and they will be as though I had not rejected them. For I am Jehovah their God, and I will answer them. Their heart will exult in Jehovah. This is a wonderful phrase here. Listen, (laughs) I will whistle for them and gather them, uh, for I have redeemed them, and they will multiply as they have multiplied do you ever hear the Lord's whistling after you, Bill? Wow, that's really quite a, quite a statement here. <laughs> really so. All right, here's Witness Lee again. What is subject? 
That's right. Christ, Christ, Christ. Really so. Isaiah unveiled Christ in many items, mostly concerning Christ's being, what Christ is, Christ is this, Christ is that, you see. But in Daniel, the most striking point is that Christ is the excellent one. He did come to be crucified for the producing of the new creation as his bride. Then he will come back with this bread to terminate, to close the human government and to replace it with God's eternal kingdom as the great mountain that fills the whole earth. But Christ in Zechariah, it is not stressing his being, neither stressing much about his doing. Then you would say, then what Zechariah talks about Christ? Well, it talks about Christ that he was sent by God to uh, visit God's elect twice. Christ came as a sent one to accomplish God's redemption. Then he came back as the sent one again, not to redeem, but to deliver, to deliver God's elect out of the hands of the human government unto Christ and his armies. Christ will do these two things in Zechariah. Bill, there's no doubt that this is uh, somewhat mysterious, but these verses in the first chapters of the angel of Jehovah, the one standing among the myrtle trees in the bottoms, clear uh, references to the coming of Christ as the Redeemer. Mm-hmm. When we get to the later chapters, as we'll see, chapter 12, 13, we really see clear prophecies concerning Armageddon, the end times, and the return of Christ, this time as the deliverer of Israel, don't we? Mm-hmm. It's really something that uh, Brother Lee is talking about here, that Christ is God's sent one. Zechariah doesn't so much stress the being of Christ or even the doing of Christ, which is very strongly emphasized in other books. Yeah. He talks about the actual, the sending forth of Christ. God's sending of Christ is mentioned twice in the book of Zechariah. Like you mentioned, in the early chapters, he's sent as the Redeemer to redeem the nation of Israel, to bring them back to God. But at the end of the book of Zechariah, you have Christ coming again the second time, and this time he does not come to redeem because he already did that, his first coming. This time he comes to rescue, to deliver. He's called the Deliverer in Romans chapter 11 to deliver the nation of Israel from the Gentile powers that he could eventually do away with all the human government, come back again, and he would be the center of God's economy in his kingdom and in the New Jerusalem. Wow. Clearly, a lot of parallels or linkage between this book, Zechariah, some of the other um, Old Testament books of prophecy and history, Daniel and uh, Isaiah, which he referred to in this segment, all showing various aspects of Christ, but a strong relationship, uh, I would say, to our listeners who have uh, enjoyed this message. It might be good if they got went back to Daniel and maybe read those uh, passages in uh, Daniel 2, uh, I think beginning at about verse 32, when the uh, stone cut out without hands comes and 
crushes the image that represents this totality of human government and expands and becomes the mountain that fills the whole earth. So mm-hmm. uh, this connects very much with what we've been uh, touching today, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Really so. Bill, I've enjoyed uh, kind of getting back in the saddle here these last couple of days, and uh, this concludes a week. Uh, we'll be back on Monday to pick up Zechariah, and hopefully next week you'll have a chance to join us again. I hope you will. This is quite a rich book. I'm really looking forward to it. We uh, are glad that uh, you're able to be with us and be part of these life studies. If you'd like to find out more information about them or to uh, receive material from Living Stream, I'll give you our toll-free number, one eight 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 life study 888-543-3788. And our mailing address is Living Stream Ministry Post Office Box 2121, Anaheim, California, 92814. Our email address is radio at lsm.org do be with us next week as we continue on now this uh, life study that we begin today of the book of Zechariah. For Bill Lawson, I'm Chris Wilde. Thank you very much for listening. The New Testament is a marvelous and clear revelation of God's purpose and plan. In 1984, Witness Lee spoke a series of 51 messages based on God's New Testament economy, which is his plan to dispense himself into his chosen, redeemed, and regenerated people as their life and everything to produce the body of Christ, which is his corporate expression as golden lampstands in this age and ultimately as the new Jerusalem for eternity. These messages have been printed in the book God's New Testament Economy. God's New Testament Economy by Witness Lee from Living Stream Ministry is available at Christian bookstores everywhere. Or you can order by calling 1-888-543-3788.